Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker, coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me, as usual, my co-host from Brisbane, Australia, Lindsay Adams. Hello and welcome. For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com. And today, our special guest is Graham Brown. Graham is based in Singapore. He's an entrepreneur, author, and storyteller. And he runs uh, the Leadership Storytelling Podcast. Really interesting. And welcome, Graham. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, Lindsay and Rail. Good to be here. So, um, I know you, you've got a, a really interesting history and you've uh, dabbled in a lot of stuff. One of the things we were talking about before we started was this concept of success. How do you mm. define success? Hmm. The way I've discovered success later on in life is, I think I would quote Bob Dylan, is that if a man wakes up in the morning and goes to bed at night and in between does what he likes, then he is a success. <laughs> and I think for <laughs> I me, like that it. is the best def definition because it's really a story you can write yourself, right? Not what somebody else gives to you. And that tends to be what people absorb. We absorb success as a story from other people. And I think a lot of life really is discovering what it is for yourself. I mean, do you think, Graham, that, that, that everybody's chasing everyone else's notion of success, which is why we have so, so many unhappy people around? Yeah, that's a great question, Rail. I would say that a lot of people do. I mean, even I did. As an entrepreneur, you kind of think that you are plowing your own furrow, don't you, when you're starting out. And yet my definition of success was really absorbed from all those kind of celebrity entrepreneurs, you know, the Richard Bransons, the Mark Cubans, the billionaires, the Henry Fords of, you know, previous eras. And I thought that was what success was. I thought that you had to build a business and sell a business and make hundreds of millions or billions to be worthy. And then with that lifestyle, I accumulated all the trappings of that kind of entrepreneurship, you know, a big office, a large headcount, you know, a big house, cars, all these kind of things. And yet really all that does is just bring stress. And I think a lot of people are like that. They absorb, whether it's from you know, the books they read or the people around them, co-workers, families, advertising, they absorb these narratives from other people. And that's not success. That's somebody else's expectation of you. And living up to that is really, I think, a formula for unhappiness, like you say. And I think a lot of people experience it in different ways. It's, that's a really interesting concept. And I, I think of... Uh, a lot of people are caught on the treadmill trying to replicate someone else's definition of success. Mm -hmm. So if you've had a big achievement, if you are, if you've created a success, well, then what's next? Yeah. Well, I, I sold a business in 2012, which was a telecoms business, and I'd been growing that for 13 years. So I hadn't, you know, what it's like you hadn't had a day off that you can remember. <laughs> You know, public holidays, bank holidays, why, why do we have these things? So it was really that kind of lifestyle. It was just pounding crazy hours, not having any days off. And so when it finally finished, the 
the natural tendency would have been to go back and start another business. I think a lot of people do that because of the addiction to activity and noise that makes you feel like you're doing something when you have a business. And yet when it stops, it's really hard just to keep that, that, what would I call it? Like that silence going. And I, I had a conversation with my wife and I said, um, look, I don't want to start another business right now. We don't need to. And, uh, my son was six at the time. So he thought, let's go and travel. So we sold all our stuff, everything. Sold uh, all your stuff. Yeah, everything. Cool. And you can imagine if you've got a kid, you've got a business, you've got, you know, you're, I'm, I'm not starting out in life. I was in my, well, nearly 40 at the time. So I then had all this stuff accumulated. And so to declutter all of that, sell all your cars and all your worldly goods, and then we had everything lined up in three suitcases. That was all we had left. <laughs> and then we went and traveled the world. And so we bought a one-way ticket to New Zealand, which, as you know, is the other side of the world from London. So that's as far as we could go. We flew to New Zealand, landed in um, Auckland, and then went down to the Bay of Plenty. Nice. And, and then we had a choice. Do we fly to the South Island or do we fly to Fiji? That was the same price. So we took Fiji. And then we ended up traveling the world for four years. So that was the plan. It wasn't the plan, but it just kind of happened. Four, four years yeah. living out of a suitcase. Yeah. So it must have been some interesting lessons you learned from that. I mean, like I couldn't imagine living out of a suitcase for four years. It's tough. <laughs> it's one of those things, like a lot of, yeah, I mean, like success is one example, but a lot of our identity and our relationships are embedded around us, right? If you live in a yeah. place, you know people, you've got your your workmates, the people, you know, those loose connections, the guy you see in the local store and, you know, people you play sports with or whatever. And all of that's gone. It's just you, your family, and your bare hands. That's literally so it. So I'm guessing there must have been some, some lessons around resilience. I mean, gee whiz, yeah. like to persist. Yeah, really. Like you, you don't have a, a ceiling and you don't have a floor. So the highs are really high. You can experience some amazing highs, like meeting people, some amazing experiences, traveling, living on tropical islands, the kindness of strangers, all those things, and seeing everything new for the first time. And then you can experience some real lows, like real depth of darkness lows, because you don't have that safety net. And you don't have that, oh, I've got to go to work at nine o'clock routine that gives you that sort of sense of comfort and you really do get challenged you're battered in a good way and a bad way both at the same time but did you spend any sort of extended time in a particular place on your travels yeah we did because obviously with my son i wanted to put him in school so we traveled we did the you know, hopping islands thing, did all that, went through America, went out to the Mediterranean, and then we landed in the Canary Islands, which are off the west coast of Africa. They're 200 kilometers off the west coast. And they're politically part of Spain, but geographically part of Africa. So we landed there, and then we found it was literally a mountain village school in Spain for my son, where they didn't speak any English, and we didn't speak any Spanish. And we put him in school there. It was a local school. And we decided we'll live here for a while. So we lived there for two years. 
18 months almost and put him in school and you talk about resilience you see it in kids as well he loved it you know you absorbed spanish you know and just absorb that lifestyle if you want to put you know for example if you think about growing up a six-year-old like where you'd want them to go to school a very familial school where they look after each other and you know they focus on play so we thought we'd spend a lot of time there rather than keep hopping around that was an amazing experience you learn a lot you learn so much by just stopping and observing and absorbing the culture so let, around you let's just swing to the other end of the pendulum you learn about resilience but you must learn a lot about happiness as well i'm guessing yeah time. absolutely yeah i think that that's probably the biggest takeaway like what makes you happy but i always thought you know we're entrepreneurs like business people we always think getting somewhere will make us happy we always think that when i get to this stage in my business i'll sell it i'll be happy but you won't that won't make you happy and always is this sort of state you always hold your happiness hostage to something in the future i'll just do this deal i'll do another year i'll sell this business and then i'll be happy it doesn't happen and what i found was i was really researching for that what, what was it i really enjoyed and i really found that happiness is not a state but it's something you do so for example if you like cycling a bike which i do then design a life where you get to do that or if you like golf or yoga design a life or if you like talking to people like this then design a life where you can do that because that will make you happy and therefore if, if what you really enjoy is talking to people like podcasting for example then how can you create a business that allows you to keep playing that game? And that's happiness because 10 million, hundred million won't change anything. You know, that what really makes you happy is, is this. So if it's cycling, then what kind of business can I have? What kind of lifestyle can I have where I get to cycle four hours a day? You know, what could that be? I mean, there are options. If there isn't an option, create one. That's happiness. I think that, because then you can you can guarantee it every single day that you can do something like that. Not like, oh, I've got to wait two years. Or the worst one is I've got to wait in this very distant future. And then the chances of actually making it to that distant future are quite low, right? Because you've got to be healthy. You've got to be mentally acute. And you've got to be alive. <laughs> and we all know as we get older, the, the chances are going down. So I think that's the challenge, isn't it? We, we think we're going to make it there, but statistically, there's a great website. Check out, I think it's called Fateful Day. You type Fateful in your day. stats. Okay. okay. Fateful Day. Type in your stats. It'll ask you your age, your gender, like do you smoke, et cetera. And it'll ask you all these questions. And it says, this is the day statistically you're likely to die. Oh. And it's a, a bit, bit of an eye. It's a bit morbid. But I think you, 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 if you face your mortality, you can make better decisions about life and happiness, right? Well, that's, that's exactly funny where I am is that my life changed seven years ago when I had two cardiac stents going from triathlons to marathon training. And so um, it, it was exactly that, that that was mm. what said, I have to pursue what I'm, what I'm happy doing, which is, you know, talking to people on these podcasts, standing on stages, standing in classrooms, talking, facilitating. That's, that's been the last seven years of my own personal journey. A um, lot of interesting parallels, by the way, that mm. I also sold my businesses in 96 in my late 30s. Um, 
and and quickly we made a decision in february and we had done the deal by may and so it wasn't by design and then ended up traveling the world for four and a half months not four years hmm. but i was a little bit more uh, you know i had this the spreadsheet I'm, I'm and i'm not normally a spreadsheet guy but i had a spreadsheet of our trip so so i'm I, I'm, I'm listening to your story and going wow imagine if i had done that because my kids were even younger it would have been hmm. you know, in retrospect, an amazing experience because we thought too we thought through it too much. Hmm. We didn't actually. But you did. I think it. you you didn't think through it enough. Well, enough. You, you didn't yeah. think through it, and you made a decision and went. And that's an amazing story, and it's who you are. Hmm. And, I, and I really admire that in you. Um, well, selling your business. I mean, how many people? You said you sold your business in two thousand and twelve. Did you start out the business with an intention to to sell it for millions of dollars, or did you start it out because Never. you're passionate about the business? Yeah, it was a research business writing reports about telecoms, and we never had a plan to sell it. And we really, I think, if we did have a plan to sell it, we would have got much better than we did. Because you know, you can engineer a business to sell it, and a lot of people do, and they do very well out of it. And those that don't know the game can get the pointy end of the the stick if you like when it comes to um, exits so that was us we were quite naive really if i did that again then i would do it with that in mind back then it was just let's make some money and what happened was we started the business selling reports to telecoms in 99 when telecoms was just before that huge inflection point that came about 2001 yeah the tech and, boom. yeah yeah, I mean, yeah, when the dot-com industry collapsed, all that money went into telecoms, all the safe harbor went into wireless stocks and so on. And we hadn't seen texting take off yet, all of that. And so we were selling these reports, and at the beginning, nobody wanted to buy them. They told us that we're not interested because we were selling reports about young people and mobile phones. And people kept telling us, we don't do kids. I was like, I've seen the future. I was living in Japan. I saw young people using text messaging and said, this is it. Sharing, texting, content. They're like, no, we do middle-aged road warriors. That's what it was all about. Then. And then we got a phone call, I think in Christmas 99, it's real sort of Christmas carol stuff. Like we got a phone call in 99 and somebody phones up and said, I love your report. We want to buy it. We're not a telecoms company, but it's everything about our customers and what we want. I said, sure, buy it, because we we're just about to give up the company. We'd been six months with no sales. And uh, I said, sure, wh who are you guys? And they said, we're MTV. And they Ooh. were our best client for about 12 years. Wow. And what happened was, in about six to 12 months, our business just completely took off, because everybody wanted research on young people on mobile phones. And it just spread like wildfire through agencies and telecoms. And so we didn't have a plan. We were just making a lot of cash. And we just went crazy with it. You know, hiring people and doing all the wrong things with it. But, you know, it hides a multitude of sins, right? So when you sold your business, you're obviously, you know, you had a chunk of money. Mm. Um, so does financial independence come from having a chunk of money or is it about assets or is it about business income? What, what do you think? Well, you can do it either way. I would say that financial independence, the best way is, is what you can control. So what can you control? If you sell your business, you can't really control it. You get lucky. Obviously, that's a key 
part of it and it's a future date and it relies on other people. But what was, when I was growing my business, somebody said to me, it was like a mentor like figure. And he said to me, oh, you're making a lot of cash in this business. It won't last forever. So here's what I recommend you do. Take as much cash as you can out of the business and stick it into real estate, stick it into assets. And at the time I was taking so much out, it was really hurting me financially and the business and sticking it into bricks and mortar. And my business partner was doing it as well. And at the time we thought it doesn't make sense. Like I wish, you know, you buy a property, it goes down in value or you're losing money on it. You think, why am I doing this? And if you've got, you've got a few of these and you're thinking, wow, this is a lot of cash. And then you give up on it you leave it. And then five years, six years, seven years later, you think, I'm really glad I did that because I wish I'd done more of it now. So I felt assets are the only way you can really get independent, something that generates an income. So I'd say to anybody, any of your listeners, that the key to independence is income, passive income. That's so important. The rest you can do, you can build a business and sell it and a chunk of cash is great, but still a chunk of cash goes down every night. What you need is something that goes up over time. Um, what's it been like for you? I mean, you, you went on this four-year journey. You're now living in Singapore. Um, how has it been, you know, there's that song, you know, I'm an Englishman in New York. Well, you know, <laughs> you know you're an Englishman in, in, in Singapore. How does, how does working and living in a tropical island as an entrepreneur, you know, how steep was your learning curve? What was it like? Hmm. Well, Singapore is not really uh, dissimilar to what I, I mean, Singapore is very English. I mean, you, and it's got historically, it was a colony, you know, a lot of the places here are named after English explorers, raffles, and so on. So it's very familiar. I mean, the, the national language is English, and the, the system is based on English law. So there's a lot of familiarity there. But that's where it ends. Yes, it's still very much a Chinese city. And there's a mix of races here. So it's, it, I like that. I like being an outsider. And I like being an outsider where it isn't a major disadvantage as well. So you can be an outsider in some countries, and you're, I've lived in Japan, for example, and it's quite clear you're an outsider because you don't look and sound like them. But if you live in Singapore, they don't know. You could be local, you could not be. So I like that. And I like having, you could adopt any kind of story you want about yourself, right? Tell any kind of story about who you are and where you came from. So that's liberating as well. The bit about tropical islands, I mean, I wouldn't call Singapore a tropical island. It's tropical and it's an island, but it's not Fiji. Well, that <laughs> kind of enough. Fair enough. technically it's a tropical Fiji island. Other places, so. Yeah. Well, as long as you've got internet connection. But here's the thing I learned is that, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, is that actually as an entrepreneur, it's very noisy up here in the head. You know, you're always thinking, always scheming, always plotting, always trying to do something better. If you're sitting on a tropical island watching a woman selling bananas, you're thinking, well, if she sold it for this price and maybe spent a bit more on marketing, then maybe she could double her sales. That's that's the kind of default positioning of the brain for an entrepreneur. And so lying on a tropical island can get really boring. I found that. And people were like, what? You know, living the dream? But it's not. You know, after some time, it gets very old. What really is living the dream is challenge. 
you would know as a triathlete as well it's the grind it's the hustle all the positive aspects of it it's you know getting better it's the camaraderie of other entrepreneurs that's living the dream and my discovery is happiness doesn't come from lying on tropical islands it looks good on instagram but again that's somebody else's story what really makes me happy is this you know talking to people so if i can do that on a tropical island it's great but it's a lot easier to do it places like this how do you create the camaraderie graham that's an interesting question and and a lot of entrepreneurs are really solopreneurs Um, you know they're lonely people yeah this is unspoken conversation in entrepreneurship isn't it Mm. you don't have a, a network of people often the people around you are employees and you can't talk to them about the things you want to talk about. I found for me, that's why I started a podcast in 2017 because I was living in Okinawa in a tropical Island in the East China sea. And I missed talking to tech entrepreneurs. So I started a podcast about Asia and technology because I wanted to reach out and have that camaraderie. So I just reached out to people all over Asia and said, Hey, I'm starting this podcast. Do you want to be a guest? And most people would say yes, because it was kind of new back then. So I think you can create your own peer group, your own network, your own camaraderie through a podcast. It's a great way. And I think it's probably the most effective way of doing it now in the current conditions. And the fact that we can do this between time zones, right? How cool is that? Well, let me, let me, I want to explore podcasting. I mean, we're talking on a podcast, hmm. but podcasting has exploded the last, you know, couple of years. Um, and, and what's, what's the, what's your view of the future? Your crystal ball of where podcasting is going. Um, you know, is it going to video podcasting? Is it staying with audio? The purists tell me audio. I, I'd love to know because this is your life. Yeah. Well, it has to have audio in it. You know, audio, if you think about audio without video, it's music, it's storytelling. It can be a beautiful experience, very engaging and emotional. Video without audio, that's surveillance. It's a completely (laughs) different experience for us. (laughs) So you've got to think about that. And audio is extremely powerful because let's say you've got 20 years business experience and you are thinking about what do I do with my podcast? Do I take it to YouTube, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I've got a 15 year old son now, right? And if I go to YouTube, he can kick my ass on YouTube with views. He's, he, he'll get thousands of views for his video and I'll struggle to get hundreds. That's the reality. And because he's, that's his genre, that's his medium. But what he can't do is he can't have a conversation for 25 minutes, 30 minutes with somebody because he doesn't have ex- the years of experience of the connections. So audio is the key. And I think where we are today, think about everything that we've experienced with lockdown, pandemic, disconnection, AI, the dehumanization of work, if you like, that a lot is getting taken over by algorithms and machine learning. That audio is creating this connection that we're losing in our lives. It's almost like, Audio allows us to reconnect when it's been taken away from us, whether through pandemic or through technology. So audio, if anything, is only going to get stronger because fundamentally it's about connection between people. 
and we've only just started. I feel that this is the beginning of the audio renaissance, the golden age. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Graham, my job on this uh, podcast is to keep an eye on the clock, and uh, I'm afraid, my friend, we're out of time. I think uh, we could talk for a little while longer, I'm sure, mm. but um, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, you're an interesting guy, and I'm sure you've raised some interesting challenges for them. How would they do that? Go to my personal website. So that's all the W's, grahamdbrown.com. Put the D in there because without the D, it's a wallpaper website, grahamdbrown.com. Well, if I'm looking for wallpaper, now I need to know (laughs) where to go. Not mine. (laughs) Thank you, Graham. Thank you for for being a great guest on our podcast today and sharing the stories of tropical islands and happiness and resilience and yeah, creating businesses and income and podcasts and as as Lindsay said we could keep talking for a much longer time thank you very much thank you to my co-host Lindsay Adams this is Rail Bricker signing off for another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast with a reminder to pop along to excellencepodcast.com for your free downloadable resources to help you on your journey to excellence in both business and life